All my peers around me were telling me, oh, you're fine, you're doing well. I was getting good grades. So go through that next semester, and then they basically ended up telling me, we don't think you're good enough to be a designer, so you should change your major. And going into your second semester junior year, that was just not something I was willing to accept. So I said, screw you, I'm going to go be a designer. Yo, it's Luke, and this is the Golf Homies podcast by Lion Loft. At LNL, we use the word homie a lot. To us, the meaning is simple. A homie is someone that you feel at home with. Whether you've just met or been friends for years, you immediately know you've got each other's back. Oftentimes, golf is that connector. Have you ever been told you weren't good enough? Maybe it was for a job you really wanted, or an idea you had, or a dream worth chasing. Today, we hear the journey of Andy Pisano, who overcame those doubters with a tireless work ethic until he achieved his goal of becoming a designer. Sit back, relax, and enjoy getting to know our homie, Andy. We start his tale back when he was a kid, growing up in a hometown that would make any golfer envious. Yeah, so I grew up in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Actually, technically Aberdeen, North Carolina, but nobody knows where that is. So I say Pinehurst, which is about an hour south of Raleigh where I am now. I grew up down there with my brother, family, grandparents. Everybody was pretty close. So yeah, I spent pretty much all of my formative years down in Pinehurst until I was about 17. Dang. Right around the uh, U.S. home of golf. U.S. home of golf, yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things you don't really appreciate until you're gone. Being from there, you get spoiled with so much good golf at your fingertips just constantly down there. If you throw a stone, you're going to hit three different golf courses that are championship golf courses. So, yeah, it's definitely one thing I didn't appreciate until I until I really got to Raleigh and got into golf, but just how good the golf game was down there. So when you were growing up, did you play? I did. It's been uh, – golf's kind of in my family, in my blood. Obviously, being from Pinehurst, you kind of have to golf. It's a requirement down there. But family-wise, my dad played collegiate golf. Both of my grandparents, country club members, played golf forever. My mom played golf. Brother played collegiate golf. So it was just one thing. I think I had a golf club in my hand since I was probably five years old. Did your mom used to whoop up on you guys? Oh, all the time. On and, on and off the golf course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I've, I mean, I've been playing forever, been around the game. I, I wouldn't say I got more serious or got the bug till college. So, but I did play a fair amount when I was younger. What's a fair amount? Uh, so we had a membership at Legacy Golf Links down there before it was developed. They were just basically giving away memberships. So I would play, my brother and I would go over there pretty much every afternoon and walk nine or 18 holes, five, six days a week, probably from the age of 12 to 15. So a couple hundred rounds between that age. Damn. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, we played a lot. Not to mention, like, just being out on the range. My, I was homeschooled, so my mom would uh, basically find creative ways to get rid of us, my brother and I. So she would just go drop us off at a gra- dr- uh, driving range, and we would, she would sit in the car or come out and hang out with us for a little bit, but my brother and I would just go out and hit balls for, for hours. So, What was it like being homeschooled? It was, it was great. It obviously has its good and bad things. I think homeschoolers get a little bit of a bad rap. Some for good reasons, some for not, but it gave me a lot of freedom 
and it gave my my mom, who's a brilliant woman, a lot of freedom to kind of develop a curriculum school-wise for us that was fit for myself and my brother. So rather than being in a you know big classroom with little attention to you know maybe my learning capabilities and my brother's learning capabilities, she was able to steer our education towards things we were interested in, things that she thought was important. Um, and we got to do cool things just like we took a trip for a couple months when I was younger because my brother and I got into the Civil War. Now we just like traveled up the East Coast and like went to a ton of different like battle sites and like basically did history on the road and things like that, which you wouldn't get an opportunity to do in a normal school setting. Yeah. How does that work as far as curriculum and grades and testing and so, that sort of thing? I think it's probably a little different now than it was, but basically I had an end of the year test where we would go to a certified instructor essentially, and we would take basically placement tests to make sure that we were placing where we should be um, in the different subjects. And other than that, I don't know that there was necessarily back then as like regulations as to what we had to or didn't have to do grade wise. But my mom did things similar to schools to where we would get like quarterly report cards and, you know, things like that. I mean, it was like she tried to make it as I'd say similar to other people's experiences as possible while still giving us, you know, a unique education. Yeah. So what, uh, as far as homework and stuff like that, did you guys have homework? No, it was, it was, man, a, what the- it was a little different. I'd say, you know, cause I mean, we were already doing our, our work at home. So mm. we had good point. Good point. Yeah, you know, we <clears throat> we spent all day doing school. We didn't want to spend all night doing school. I mean, every once in a while we'd have some things here and there that were homework esque, but I don't I don't have memories of having like to finish school and you know do more school because I had homework. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I would say in general we didn't have homework. Yeah. But then again, we would do things with like other homeschoolers in our area, and there was a couple co ops and things like that to where we'd do like week-long studies or month-long studies to where we'd have take-home assignments, take-home assignments, um, you know, <laughs> that we would bring back into There's a group setting. so many setting. puns with I know. homeschool. <laughs> so we would have things like that that we'd bring back, like we'd have work outside of our normal day-to-day schoolwork um, to do. But in general, I would say not too much homework. What about on the social side of things? Did you have a crew of friends you hung out with? How'd you meet new friends? How did that all work? Yeah, so that's, I think, where the biggest mark on homeschoolers comes there's so many socially awkward homeschoolers not that i'm super socially hey by the way andy i've been meaning to tell you yeah i know right <laughs> i'm not the most social person but i think i'm doing all right i'd say most of our social stuff came through sports and also like different groups we're in whether that was from our church or from different things in our area just hanging out with people neighbors neighborhood people whatever um, but i'd say the biggest thing is sports so Obviously, another kind of detriment for homeschooling. One thing that I didn't like was the competitive sports side of things. The closest like homeschool team to where like a collective group of people could play was probably about an hour away from us at the time. And my mom just didn't have the the bandwidth to drive us to and from practices and games. So we uh, just like enrolled in club ball, rec ball. My brother and I were big into soccer. So yeah, pretty much most of the people I got to know socially was through that. So, so soccer, you played soccer as well. Played a lot of soccer, a lot of soccer growing up. Nothing super competitive, like travel wise, again, just bandwidth and money at the time didn't really have the bandwidth to commit to that. So just played a lot of rec ball club 
pickup all the way through high school and into college. Got into some like intramural stuff, club ball in college. But yeah, soccer was my main sport forever. I'm five eight, five nine on a good day, so I was never built for a ton of other sports. So soccer was just something. I kind of found a niche in. I know I played like my mom put us in basketball, baseball, all all the sports you can imagine growing up. But soccer was the only one I kind of stuck with, just because I was I was good at it. I enjoyed it, and down in the the Pinehurst area, there's a really good soccer soccer scene. Hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of good players that come from there that end up going to play college ball. So it was competitive as it could be. How many kids are down there? Because when I think of Pinehurst, as far as people living there, I picture, and I know Pinehurst, greater area with Aberdeen, Southern Pines, et cetera. But in terms of kids, like, what does that look like? So we have two big high schools, Pinecrest and Union Pines. I don't know the numbers, but I was, I feel like when I was there, it was a little more, I'll say like close knit. Since I've left, since I moved away, a lot of military families from Fort Bragg have started to move to that side of town, which has kind of bolstered the growth of the area. Uh, but when I was there, I mean, I could, you know, I could recognize people in town, like kids in town. It wasn't huge. It wasn't like 10 people, but it wasn't like 10,000. So, um, and that being said, I mean, I was homeschooled. So again, I wasn't around everybody. So I don't know if I can give a super accurate statement, but there was enough. There's enough people when I grew up. It was a good place to grow up. I wouldn't have want to live, wanted to live there, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of childhoods are maybe like that. Yeah, you know, like you grew up, especially like our generation being in like our twenties, thirties. You know, before like the internet was really big, a lot of people are living in country ish towns, cities, whatever. And now, I feel like families are starting, and people are starting to move more towards the city. So, yep, for sure, it makes sense. And now that I'm in a city, I'm now I'm more leaning to going back to that lifestyle. I miss aspects of it, mm-hmm. but not enough to move back yet. Not yet. One day. Yeah. I'll retire there. Speaking of which, got a baby on the way. Got a baby on the way. Baby number one, little girl coming June, 2020. Gender reveal party. You hit a golf ball, right? I did. I hit an exploding <laughs> golf ball, hoping for some blue powder. and It did not happen. There's some uh, some video evidence of me being not entirely stoked and my wife being ecstatic. So I'm sure I'll get that held against me in my future. But yeah, why don't you tell everyone what you did the next day to kind of cope with this? I was so that's another reason I love golf. Golf is where I go to cope and to like get my head wrapped around certain circumstances. So yeah, I uh, I'd been pulling for a boy and I really wanted a boy. That's why I come from a family of five boys. It's just I feel like it's something I know. So. I saw the pink. I was not really sure how to mentally handle that at the moment. But the next day I went out and walked 18 holes, about three and a half hours by myself. And I just got, got some stuff figured out on the golf course. My game was terrible, obviously, but, uh, mentally I was just able to kind of wrap my head around having a girl, which now I'm, I'm stoked. I'm absolutely stoked, but I'm just coming, uh, Come, had to come to grips with it, but now I'm aiming for that uh, golf scholarship for in the future. So. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Well, it's exciting. May time frame. End of May, start of June, somewhere in there. We'll, we'll see what happens. So I think June 2nd's the official date, but who knows if that's going to happen or not. Do you have any names picked out? We do. Giovanna Nicole Passano. Okay. We're going Very mad, Italian. mad Italian with it, yeah. 
And so. is there inspiration? Is there family members or? So my wife is going to be mad at me for this. I have, I say she's named after Gigi Buffon, the famous Italian goalkeeper, but my wife will deny that uh, to the grave. But uh, we have a cousin named Giovanna, no, no real relation there. We just really liked the name. Nicole is my wife's middle name as well as my grandfather's name was Nicholas. So kind of double, double work for that. But I just like Giovanna. I mean, call her G, 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 G. It's easy to shorten, unique. So, How uh, much Italian culture would you say uh, was part of your influence growing up? A ton, for sure. So both of my grandparents, or not both of my grandparents, my, my father's side immigrated from Italy. So my grandmother came over when she was young. I think my grandfather came over as a baby. He might have been like just born in America type deal. But so I grew up kind of steeped in the Italian culture, pasta, very loud, boisterous people. Vacations to New Jersey. No vacation. Well, actually, we did, but that's just because my mom's family was in New Jersey at the time. No, no, no Italian relation there, but it just worked out that we were in New Jersey. But yeah, just a very big, uh, big focus on family, and a lot of you know our family gatherings were all the cousins, all of the grandparents, extended family, just everybody around one big table, just like eating, yelling, having a good time. The family, basically the family. That was a horrible Godfather accident. It was not great, but I was gonna <laughs> let it slide. I watched. Uh, What's the movie? The new movie on Netflix, a newish movie, mafia movie. Oh, you're asking the wrong person. I know, I Basically, I, I watched that and I was just like, "Crap!" So much of this reminds me of my grandfather. It's terrifying. Like I would jokingly, growing up, say things about mafia just because I was Italian, and now I look back and I'm like, maybe my grandparents were a little more connected than I actually thought. You know? <laughs> but but yeah, so I'd say definitely grew up with Italian culture in my blood. Mm-hmm. Still, still is. My wife and I took a trip to Italy. Uh, in August of this last year, so it's the second time being there. Just I love I love the culture, I love the people. Food obviously is incredible. So, all right, so let's go back to let's say like high school time frame. You know, talked about twelve through fifteen. You're playing a lot of golf with your brother. You shared with me an interesting story that I don't know if we should share or not about Pinehurst. How you guys would just roll up there when you're kids, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, I mean, talking about the practice facilities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So for those of you that don't know in Pinehurst, uh, the range has golf balls set out for the players and that have come to play, you know, so you can just go, you don't have to go into a pro shop and get a code for range balls. You just go out there and hit. So early on in my, uh, I'll say teenage to late teenage golf years, found out basically if you look like you're supposed to be there no one's gonna say anything to you so spent a lot of time over there hitting balls in the range uh for free and also just hanging out in their practice facility just chipping around trying to improve my game slash waste time not causing any trouble like my brother and i were good kids still are but uh yeah definitely took some advantage of that versus trying to scrounge up some dollars to go buy a bucket of balls somewhere else so my brother, uh, he played golf at our local community college there, Sandals Community College, and he ended up getting a job in the pro shop at Southern Pines Golf Club, formerly the Elks Club. So whenever it'd be light out, you know, light till late, whenever my brother would finish closing at the pro shop, I'd just meet him out over there and we'd walk nine, walk 18. So I've played a ton of golf at Southern Pines. It's one of my favorite courses in the area down there, Donald Ross Gym, like for the price you can't beat it so i've been preaching it i've been preaching the gospel of southern pines golf club for for forever 
Yeah, and we've been sending people there anytime they come in town, asking for places to go, like around our home on the range tournament and stuff. So yeah, it's a cool place. There's some exciting things in the works there. Yeah, crazy place to grow up. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah, like I said, it's 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 an easy thing to take for granted. Again, like moving away from it, I realized quickly, like going to play golf. I, I lived in Greenville, South Carolina for a few years and like just going to play golf down there, just immediately seeing the drop off in quality. Also, like the price would go up and the quality would go down. And just being like, this isn't how it should be. I, I could play a course back home for 15 bucks, 20 bucks, and it'd be in pristine shape year round. And so that's had was something I had to come to grips with leaving there very quickly. But Thankfully, my immediate family is still there, so I still get to go enjoy a good bit of golf down there when I can. But yeah, it's, it was a it was like a bubble, you know, golf bubble. So uh, as you're like going throughout quote unquote high school, or you know, home, home school, home high home school, high school yeah. yeah. What is you know you're starting to like think about college and other things like that. What does that look like? How do you figure out what you want to do with your life? Did you know in high school like what the heck you wanted to do? I had no clue what I wanted to do in high school. Um, I was a uh, how do I put this? I was just like a recluse. I like to sit up in my room, and play video games, play some music, like avoid people in general. Not that I didn't like. I just I. I really liked video games. I liked you were, TV shows. You're quarantining. I was yeah. I was self quarantining before it was a thing. Social distancing. But uh, no, I I never really excelled at a ton of stuff academically in high school. So I was never like a math whiz or you know great at a lot of things. I loved history growing up, but there wasn't a huge career path that I saw history wise. But one thing my mom always did was whenever my brother and I, or whenever we'd go someplace where there'd be somebody talking like a speaker event, things like that, she would just give us, um, a pen and paper and just say, if you're not gonna be able to like, listen, just doodle, draw, do whatever. Like, and it ended up helping me focus. So I remember early on from elementary years, all the way through high school, just doodling a lot, drawing a lot. I was also big into skateboarding. So I have old, old sketchbooks of just, decks. Uh, decks and also just i was very fascinated with branding before i knew it was branding so like so, flames and yeah so i would basically redraw all of the logos element i remember logos. the element logo was yeah. my favorite with the tree so i would i just have notebooks of old old skate logos i remember going through like thrasher and those magazines just like eating up all possible branding that i could and mm -hmm. just redrawing it typography was the same way it was just something i was super interested in and didn't really know that it was a thing uh, career wise, but then career path wise, like I said, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, end, I finished high school when I was really when I was 16. So being homeschooled, I was able to kind of accelerate through programs faster. Um, my brother was two years older, so I was kind of always studying alongside him. So mm -hmm. I was able to pick up some of that information more quickly. So when I was 16, I started going to community college through a dual enrollment program that North Carolina had at the time. I hope they still do because it's awesome. But I basically started taking college classes when I was 16. Same thing, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I was just taking some gen eds here and there. And I found a uh, simulation and game development program that they had there that I, I love video games. I, lo I kind of liked art, didn't really know much about career-wise for it. So I just jumped into that kind of blindly and very quickly found I hated coding so that wasn't going to be a super <laughs> clear hey, path for me. If you would have gone down that path, you'd be so many a regrets. millionaire right so, now. But. So many regrets. <laughs> I really wish I liked coding. 
But no, I realized I hated that, but loved the art side. So started taking more art classes at the community college and ended up finding, uh, it was called computer art. It was like one of the first times it was offered. It was a night class. Um, so yeah, I started taking this computer art class with a professor who happened to be a former graphic designer slash fine artist, illustrator, kind of all these different things. And he introduced me to the the career of graphic design when I was about 17 or so. So kind of picked up on that, realized I loved it, had a knack for it, and then ended up leaving to go to another school in South Carolina for graphic design for a couple of years. But that's career pathwise how I got how I got towards design. Mm-hmm. Going into that first school environment where it's with other kids and stuff like that, what was that like? Uh, it was honestly a, a pretty easy transition, I'd say. Because again, like my mom had made sure that we were well socially versed, you know, like we weren't going to be super socially awkward. Obviously, there's some things you just don't pick up on being around people, other kids 24-7. But in general, it was pretty easy. And my mom's insanely smart, like a nursing degree from uh, University of Michigan, master's degree in nursing from Duke. So she she was very well equipped to teach us academically what we needed to to know. And my dad was a small business owner, taught us a good, good work ethic in general. So we were able, to, or I was able to transition into, you know, a classroom environment. Uh, you know, the community college was really where that first started, but pretty easily. It was, mm-hmm. wasn't too big of a transition. Also, again, like the requirements there weren't so demanding that it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So when you got to that first school in South Carolina for graphic design, what did that look like? Were there classes that you're, or topics, you know, fields within design or art where you're like, I really dig this? Or it was, it was honestly, it was all. It was like drinking from a fire hydrant. It was, it was also new to me. I I discovered I'd taken that computer computer art class the semester before I left. So I found it, applied to the school, got into their design program you know, kind of on a whim. So I didn't really know what to look for. I was more just trying to learn. Uh, And that school specifically has a very strong focus on fine art. So a lot of the first year stuff we took was color theory, composition, even things like painting, drawing, figure drawing. It was very fine art uh, based. So I just kind of just tried to Which drink it all in. Which was new for you, right? Like it was. It was new to that degree. I had obviously. I, I'd been drawing for f- forever, but never Not super a seriously. Schooled way, yeah. like a. Uh, I'd taken yeah, some. Yeah. I'd taken some fine was, art classes at okay. the community college, but nothing. Nothing too intense. So it was all. It was all new, but I didn't. I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. Still, I just knew I liked graphic design. I knew I liked logos. I found out what logos were. You know. What were you doing for work? Like, were you working during this time? Or Yeah, so I mentioned real quick my dad, a small business owner. Uh, my dad owned a irrigation business down in Piners for 30-plus years. So I yeah, installing sprinklers, digging trenches, all that all that jazz. My dad, yeah, my dad retired at in his late 60s and could out-dig, like he'd dig trenches faster than anybody. It was, it was insane. He would bring 18 year olds out there and smoke them digging. But yeah, so I, I did that quite a bit, just working, you know, days, early mornings, afternoons with him, whenever I had free time. That was the only real, I'd say like steady job I had, obviously here and there would do things, but 
nothing too crazy. Mm-hmm. Until obviously when I went to school in South Carolina, I found I picked up a couple like on campus jobs. I worked worked uh, let's see an aftercare program for a while, like watching kids, tutoring kids, and then I worked. Um, they had a, a big theater department there, so I I worked building sets for That's these cool. productions. It was. That's incredible awesome. that's where i kind of so got my woodworking, hands dirty painting woodworking painting making contraptions for things like to like making flowers appear out of a wall how do you do that like just figuring random stuff like that out uh, and building it so that was that was my favorite job in college for sure um and obviously practically long term my most beneficial just because it got me into woodworking and kind of got me familiar with different tools and techniques mm-hmm. so nice so what happens next? Like, what's what's like the timeline from there? That timeline—that's where my timeline turns dark. This is where like Andy has his worst years of his life. Went to school at seventeen. Two and a half years later, I'm uh, junior year. I had just had my what they call it a sophomore check at that school, which is basically. They take, they take a look at your portfolio of work and they decide if you're good enough to move on or if you need some work or if you need to quit. So I went through my, my sophomore check and they passed me with reservations, which meant that they're like, hey, we have some things that we kind of want to see you improve in, but we'll pass you for now and we'll take another look at your portfolio at the end of next semester. So I was like, okay, that kind of sucks, but you know, it's fine. It's whatever. All my peers around me were telling me, oh, you're fine. You're doing well. I was getting good grades. So go through that next semester, and then they basically ended up telling me, we don't think you're good enough to be a designer, so you should change your major. And going into your second semester junior year, that was just not something I was willing to accept. And I, I disagreed with them, and other people did as well. So I said, screw you, I'm gonna go be a designer. Like, you can't, like, I'm not gonna let you tell me to, that I, I can't. So I remember sitting in sitting in one of my professor's offices, talking to him about it. And at the time, I didn't know if I was going to go back to school or just go get a job. I had interned at a place over the summer I, f- I felt like I could probably get a job at again uh, back in Pinehurst. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go get a job back there, and then I'm going to get into NC State's design program. So I, I'd heard good things about it. Uh, I knew it was a good, great program, a top program for public school, public schools um, college-wise. And he just kind of chuckled and was kind of like, yeah, okay, like, good luck type deal. And I was like, fine. And I, I just walked out of his office. So I left school after that semester and went home. I had been emailing back and forth and texting back and forth with the guy I interned with. Uh, he offered me a job working at his sign and graphic shop, doing design and just random stuff around the shop, which turned into a full-time gig because two weeks after I started there, he fired his head designer and he was like, hey, you can, you can do this design stuff, right? So you should take this over. So I ended up taking over all the design for this sign and graphic shop down in Piners for a couple of years, spent some time kind of re, re-anchoring myself, I guess. Uh, I kind of had, had the rug pulled out from under me and didn't really know how to feel about it or if, if they were right, if they were, if they were wrong. And yeah, I just kind of had to re-figure out my identity. I'd put all my identity in this, in this, this thing I thought was, was me, you know, which was design. Uh, and realized I had to find some satisfaction elsewhere. But it also gave me a big chip on my shoulder to kind of work my butt off and, and prove these people wrong. That, you know, I do think I am good at this. I was at, at that point making a living from it. Uh, and, you know, being successful industry-wise in a small town 
at a design shop, which was something I said I couldn't do already. So it was just, it was a very weird time. How did you dig out of that? It took a lot of, a lot of support from my family and a lot of, like I said, just figuring out my identity. Faith is important to me. So that's where I, I really turned after probably about a year of just being really depressed and angry and upset with a lot of people. I kind of found my, my, my anchoring in that. And then obviously I have a great family who helped me through a lot of that stuff. My brother had just gone through a really crappy school situation as well, um, where he got unjustly kicked out of a nursing program, which I don't want to go into because it was garbage. But so he had been through a really similar situation to where we both just kind of like leaned on each other and I was able to see how he responded to those, those circumstances, which gave me a good roadmap to follow. Um, I got really close with a buddy who I had grown up with but never was really close with because everybody else had left for college except him. So he was just home alone and then I ended up back, back there with him. So we just started hanging out at the gym and working out and I worked long hours and just kind of got in the grind. Got addicted to startup life, got addicted to small business and working 16-hour days and taking long road trips to trade shows and things like that. I just... I don't want to say pulled myself out of it, but because that wasn't it. But it was definitely just a grind. Yeah. You know, it wasn't overnight. It took a couple of years. Yeah. So I spent, I said probably three years, two and a half years from the time I left that school, working full time, building my portfolio. I went back to that community college and finished an associate's degree um, down in Pinehurst, and then ended up transferring into state. I got accepted into their design program, which was. What that feel like getting that letter? That was the most like rewarding day I'd had in, like in my lifetime to that point. You know, just like this culmination of just absolutely working my butt off for at that point three years. You know, just trying to build a portfolio, get experience, and just to get that that letter in the mail after I think two two interviews, an in person interview, a portfolio review. And S, like writing all this stuff, like the process to get into state's design program is like no joke. So getting that letter was just super satisfying at the time. But it was also another challenge. It's like, because they they were basically like, we're going to start you as a freshman again. You know, I was coming into this at 22 as a freshman, you know, after spending three and a half years in one school, getting an associate's in another two years. Like I'd already been in college at like five years at that point, pretty much. And just being like, all right, well, this could potentially be four more years. Like, it was very rewarding, but also like a big challenge. But at that point, I had a huge chip, chip on my shoulder to like still prove people wrong. So I was like, I'm down for it. Let's go. Packed my bags and moved to Raleigh. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, it's it was. It's definitely something that made me who I am today. It sucked going through it. Like it was a lot of roller coasters of emotions. You know, like really good days, really bad days. and But uh, it's all kind of added up to make me who I am. So I wouldn't ask for a different path. What was it like starting out at NC State? And how did that transpire as far as did you have to end up taking four years? So starting at NC State was, it was awesome. I love, I, I loved Raleigh. I had moved there over the summer beforehand to kind of just get a, 
acquainted with the area, get a job, get an apartment, all that jazz. Anything that stands out about Raleigh when you first moved here? <laughs> I mean, coming from Pinehurst, which is a tiny town, I felt like this was the big city, you know? This was this was it. There's a mall, there's traffic, there's, you know, plenty of restaurants. It was it was different. So there was nothing in particular that was like, that's the thing. I just liked the vibes. It was it felt like a place with things to do, but still with some small town like feeling, you know, people were still friendly, people still wave to you if you're walking on the street type deal, but with things to do around town, which I didn't have growing up. So it was great. Um, I don't remember the original question now. What was it like, you know, coming to Raleigh and then with NC state, did it take four years or? Oh yeah. Um, short answer is no, it didn't. So I had mentioned that I started taking community college classes at 16. And, uh, one benefit of that was that allowed me to finish an associate's degree pretty quickly, which there's a, or at the time there was an agreement between community colleges in North Carolina and NC State that if you transferred in with an associate's degree, it basically would count for all of your gen ed. So in theory, you would only have to take two years of major classes. But since I was starting in the College of Design, they were a little different. They made me start as a freshman, but all of my gen eds were still finished up. So I just had to take major classes, which were which like, probably like a blessing in disguise or like it was, as a college student. That's it was, it was the best. Cool. Like if you can get your gen eds out of the way and then you're only focusing on your, your core focus, that's yeah. pretty cool. It was, it was the best, but it allowed me to really focus in on the design classes, which were still like six credit studios to where they were not super easy to double up on. Like they wouldn't even let you double up on studios because they're supposed to be one per semester. And without like special, you know, permission per se, which I didn't even try to do till later on. So yeah, I just spent the first two and a half years just going through the the normal design program as is. They have like... How would you describe the design program to people that maybe aren't familiar with design or, you know, the schooling surrounding that, or even in general in comparison to other design schools out there? So state's design program is they kind of expect you to come in with a base level of knowledge already versus the school I'd gone to before was you could come in knowing nothing like I ha- like I had done. With state, there's interviews, there's portfolio reviews. You have to kind of come in knowing your stuff a little bit. Obviously, they leave a lot of room there for um, for improvement. And also, this is just from a graphic design standpoint. They also have architecture, industrial design, plenty of other majors that I don't have tons of knowledge about. But for graphic design... And at least they, uh, yeah, base, base level knowledge, room to grow. And then they kind of, at least for our class, it was kind of hit, hit the boot or hit the ground running. Um, granted art, I think my class was the last class to go through college of design the way it was. So after I left, a lot of things have switched curriculum wise. So I'm not too sure how it is now, but at the time it was our first, we had a thing called first year studio where they threw everybody in the college of design, regardless of major into these four different studios. So I was in a studio with architects, students, industrial design, art and design and graphic design students. And we had a bunch of just, I'd say design thinking related projects to where they were really trying to get you to think a certain way about, about design and how to approach design. So we would, we had that studio design thinking classes. Um, they really just kind of pummeled that into you in the first year, um, to get you thinking, the way that they want, they thought that you should. 
Were there any weird projects that they had you guys do? <laughs> so we had some infamous projects, which were, I think they still have some of them around, but they were called the cardboard projects to where we'd have to like construct these sculptures out of cardboard in our studios. So there'd be like a point in the semester where there would literally just be like tons and tons of cardboard just strewn throughout the entire college of design, like just piles, like people would be going to Sam's club, BJ's, all those places and just like trying to scrap as much cardboard from them as they'd let, let us take. And then we'd construct just these weird abstract, uh, trebuchets and (laughs) yeah, for real though, there's like trebuchets. There's like, we made like this giant, giant chandelier that was probably like 30 feet by 20 feet big, like suspended (laughs) from the ceiling, like just crazy things. Um, And different professors had different kind of requirements for the different studios. So like some, I know they had to like make a chair from like three pieces of cardboard and like had to meet certain requirements and you could do whatever you want with those three pieces of cardboard, but it had to make a chair. But, but so yeah, there was projects like that. My favorite project though, from that studio was we had to design a chess set based off of either a style of art or based off of an, a certain artist, you know, et cetera. So I did mine based off of a futurist architect, Italian futurist architect, and ended up 3D printing it, making the board, all that, all that jazz. And it was, I don't know, just like super memorable. Like I still have the chess set. Like, Is it playable? Oh yeah, absolutely. Nice. And it's all based on all the... <laughs> The 3D printed models are based off of these sketches that this this guy made, I think in the 30s, and he had ended up dying like pretty young, so he never got to see any of his stuff built. So he just had all these crazy looking, like alien buildings that he drew in the 30s that he wanted to build and never got to. And I just was able to 3D print them and you know turn them into a chess set. But it was just cool. So like I said, that's probably the most memorable one from that first year. Is there anything else that stands out from your NC State experience? Uh, no, that's it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the faculty there, like, just was head and shoulders. I don't know. Like, they were just better. <laughs> like, it was they they were so good at what they did, and they knew what they were talking about. They had industry experience, and like, I don't know. They were just willing to help you work. Like, I had. Uh, I was a, I was a weird student because I came in like I said with all my gen Way eds older done. than everyone else. You're the one buying beer for yeah, everyone. Yeah, I, I was going out to the bar when <laughs> everybody else was like going home to go to bed because they were 17. You know, like, you know, but I uh, I just had like different circumstances than people there. I was working two or three jobs to like pay for my rent, to pay, try to help pay for school. I was lucky enough that my parents helped me with some of my school bill, but I still like was grinding to try to try help out wherever I could to where. I'd be like, hey, I can't come to studio today because I have to go to work to pay for this class. And there were some professors who were okay with that and some that weren't. But the ones that were, obviously, like, I don't know. I just I felt like they understood my situation, like what I wanted to do, what I was trying to do. They knew I was serious. I was still turning in my work, doing like doing good work. But they knew that, hey, if he doesn't go work his job, he's not going to make rent. Therefore what's more important. So they just kind of understood the priorities of my situation, which was great. To this day, I had lunch, I had coffee, lunch with one of my professors probably about a month ago, just like catching up, just like, hey, how you been? Which I wouldn't expect him to like give me the time of day necessarily afterwards, but he was like, yeah, let's do it. So I don't know. It's cool to maintain those relationships and to see 
to see how they've kind of developed over time. I don't know, people are great in state and NC State. I love it. I can't can't preach high enough praise about about those people. Well, coming into your last year was about the year the time frame that we met, right? Yep, it was probably late fall of my senior year, which was. 16? 16. Yeah, 2016? No. Yeah, 16, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. We met through a mutual friend. At the yeah. time, I was working uh, out of Assembly Downtown, which is a co-working space in Raleigh for creatives and graphic designers. Got introduced to you through a mutual friend, Britton. Britton. Super talented dude. Yeah, it was like wham chance meeting. I remember, at the time, I didn't have anything lined up for after school or even internship-wise for fall or spring. So it was just, uh, to be honest, I wasn't really even looking. I was doing a lot of freelance work, so I was already kind of on that grind. And then I was a member of, still am a member of, AIGA, which is a national group of designers and creatives that meet and do creative things together. So we were at our monthly meeting, and I was just chatting with Britton. I think we were chatting about Piners, like where I grew up, and he mentioned... Yeah, I sit next to a guy at this co-working space who's doing this golf company thing. You guys should, like, grab a drink or grab coffee and just, like, I think you guys would hit it off type deal. So I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, he gave me the name Lion Loft on Instagram. So I think I followed you that night or something. And then I remember, like, sending you a message maybe that night. And by the next day, we, like, grabbed coffee, like, that quick of a turnaround. Yeah, what was that Mexican place that was? Uh, uh, Gonzo's? No. No. It was, it it was, was right by downtown. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, not, not, it's no not longer with us. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we, we got to door some, masks everywhere. Yeah. Oh, Cafe oh. de los Muertos. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what it, it was. Yeah. We met. It was, uh, you know, for first in terms of like a first date, it was love at first sight. I it guess <laughs> just butterflies. So many butterflies. <laughs> and pretty much right after that, we it, started working together. I think it was by that night we like <laughs> sent stuff over, but like we like went back and forth on stuff. Yeah. It was like we grabbed coffee and we're like. Hey, this like, this could work. So, I, like, I I think it was that night we started going back and forth on sketches or like ideas or something. So yeah, it was literally a day, a one day turnaround from, hey, this guy's doing a golf company thing to, hi, I'm Andy, to let's work together. So, and that lasted for a long time. It did. After you graduated, came on full time, and yep, left my last class at twelve in the afternoon and went full-time at 1230. <laughs> big transition. People, everybody, I remember a lot of my uh, classmates who I graduated with were like, yeah, we're taking a month off, you know, before we start work. What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I started literally like a- after I walked out of class, I like drove to work. They're like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, screw that cushion. I'm, I'm trying to get going. Yeah. So. Yeah. For a while, it was just the two of us. Grinding. Grinding. Yeah. Out, out the house, out the garage. Yep. Back in the early heady days of LNL, Andy definitely had a huge impact on everything that you see with Stop the company. It. Yeah. You're making uh, me blush. <laughs> very talented and dynamic person who understands golf and the heart mm, one I, of the I don't know if I understand <laughs> golf. I I like it. I don't think I understand yeah. it. But I will say this, you are the hardest worker I've ever met in my life. Thank you. Yeah. And without a doubt. Like you grind and you aren't afraid to put in hours w- way late into the <laughs> night. <laughs> that elbow grease, just got to keep working. Yeah. 
you've inspired me for sure. You inspired me while we were working together and, uh, I don't know. You you were not great after about midnight. Your mental game just dropped. You yeah. need you need your sleep. I'm a I'm person. A, I'm a night that, owl. Uh, I'm a person that works well from like six a.m. Yeah, to you get you got the early bird. I'm not about that. <laughs> Andy took the night shift. I did. I could, if I wake up before eight, I'm worthless. Yeah. Like, I'm just done. But if you if, but if I stay up past two a.m., I'm also that's like my golden hour. I like that's where I, I thrive. Yeah. So to kind of like spill the beans before we get to that point, Andy no longer works full-time with Lion Loft. He definitely <laughs> still works for us nights and weekends, grinding like we're still talking grinding. about. Yeah, he's still... Uh, little, actually, I'd say it's a little less grind, but yeah. Yeah, it's more recreational. Recreational. Now it's like passion. Yeah. It's back to the passion. Um, so you'll still see his work through our illustrations that we're putting out and different things here and there. Bearded um, photos. Yeah, he's the dude with the massive beard, like bigger than my beard and photos. And yeah. What was it like working for Lion Loft as a startup on the other side of the lens. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, obviously good. Yeah. And, yeah. Thank goodness. It was terrible. No, <laughs> it was good and bad. Like any small business or startup, like I'd mentioned before, I kind of got addicted to the grind of startups and small business when I was on that hiatus from real university. So like transitioning into, into Lion Loft, I kind of already knew what to expect. You know, I'd, I had already, been working 16 hour days regularly. I'd already like done a lot of this, this stuff. Granted, it was at a time where I had less, less responsibilities. Like I was single. I didn't really have anything on my plate other than, you know, work. Um, but I still kind of knew, knew how it was going to be in order to succeed. So it was fun. Like it was, <laughs> honestly, it was a great break from my classwork. Cause when I started, I was still in school. So I was, I would finish up you know, a, a school project that I had to do the next day. And I'd be like, all right, cool. It's, it's 11 o'clock. I can work for another four hours, five hours <laughs> until, you know, till whenever. I remember this was my last semester that I was, I was taking two studios. So it was already like a pretty brutal semester. And I remember I had, it was, when we were launching the website. We were launching the new website and it was like all hell was kind of breaking loose and something was going wrong. And I, I pulled an all nighter working on it. And I ended up like finishing whatever it was and like driving to school, getting to class. And my professor just looked at me and was like, did you not sleep? I was like, no, we've been launching website all night. And he's like, just go home. (laughs) (laughs) So he just like, let me go home and go back. And I like, rather than going to bed, I like went back to work on it. But (laughs) yeah. So it was just that, that rush of, you know, like seeing stuff kind of come to fruition real quick and, you know, having the ability to have your hands on, in a lot of different things and seeing seeing how, how that comes to life was, it was fun, you know? Yeah. We went, uh, f- from working together in my townhouse to our first office space, which was, uh, that was quite the undertaking. It was, uh, in the beginning we were like, all right, we're going to have this office. Well, not even an office, a space. Collaborative space. Retail. <laughs> uh, we're going to do events in here. We're going to like, one at the time too, we we're like, you know, we were framing everything in house. Oh, we were doing all the woodworking, just the two of us. Yeah. And I remember like the first big tournament order we got for just frame prints. And we're just like, how are we going to frame all this stuff? And by big, that was like, I think like 20 frames. We were like, oh my gosh, there's no space. Like, oh no. Which try and frame 20 prints and yeah. see how that goes. All yeah. in a garage <laughs> while trying to maintain a cleanly environment and not crease any prints. Gosh, it was, and oh. The printer was upstairs. The garage was downstairs, <laughs> and 
half our supplies was up there, half of our supplies was downstairs. It was <laughs> we were running up and down stairs all day. Yeah. So you've been through three office spaces, maybe four office, no, four office spaces cuz assembly in my house, yeah, Bickett, too. and then Whitaker Mill. Yep. And then uh, we're in a new space now, which you come to sometimes. But Thankfully, as far I missed, as like, I missed the moving process for this space, so I don't have to move <laughs> things again. Yeah, uh, if you want to like really test your ability to move, as far as like moving a house is one thing. Try moving an office with like flat file <laughs> and a printer, a commercial printer, big old printer. Yeah, that's fun. That you can't mess up because it's your livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we we've had to do some crazy things to get prints out the door. Yeah. <laughs> Printing it like UPS yeah. with our paper, bringing our paper in, and be like, "Hey, can we hey, put this we, in your printer? Can we borrow your printer real quick? <laughs> Thanks." Oh man, no, but yeah, a lot of good memories, a lot of good times. Home on the range, you mm-hmm. know, you've and and all the events that we've hosted at the spaces we've been in and things like that, you've been a part of. Yep. Um, any good stories you can share from? Any of those? I know I have stories, but I'll let you. I'll let you take the reins. I don't know. Home on the range is always just. I mean, it's going to be special forever. But I don't know. Seeing that come to fruition, and because we talked about it for a while, like you went on Portland to Pebble and camped on golf courses, and then us. I feel like we just talked about it. Like you talked about how cool it was to be out there, and this idea of camping on a golf course and spending a weekend there. Like it was always just this cool idea, and seeing it go from this idea in your head to hey let's like reach out to tobacco road let's like everybody a couple of our buddies get together and like brainstorm what this could look like what could formats be will people actually come to this so like seeing that that happen the first year and being a part of it like i remember the night golf putt putt we like just staying out there till who knows what time in the middle of the night slash morning just I think it was like four of us barefoot, like barefoot, like no shirts, just like <laughs> listening to music, like just chilling out, playing glow in the dark putt putt on the putting green at tobacco road, like till like three or four in the morning or something. It was just like the best, you know, that's still like that first year, that first tournament was still one of my favorite memories, like especially on a golf course. So yeah, that, that, uh, that event in general has been super special and it's been tons of fun. I want to talk to about, you, you mentioned Portland Pebble, but you and I did a trip of our own that is tied with Portland Pebble for my favorite trip I've ever done in my life. It's my, it's my favorite trip. Again, I wasn't on Portland Pebble, but it's definitely my favorite. And that trip was? West by West, West, <laughs> West by Westphalia. Yeah. Andy and I reached out to a local uh, Westphalia mechanic, Vanagon mechanic in Raleigh, Transporter Works. Uh, shout out to them. They hooked it up with actually the owner's Westphalia Synchro, uh, which is a synchro. Yeah, four wheel drive, lifted. stick shift, lifted. <laughs> it's probably a $65,000 to $80,000 vehicle. It's an expensive and it's, van. Yeah, with yeah. all the modifications and stuff on there. They're a rare vehicle. Andy and I put together an itinerary to travel. Well, the reason that the trip should start from the start yeah. here. So why yeah. did we need this van? Where yeah. did we have to go? Well, we had a trade show in Las Vegas, the PGA show in Las Vegas. And of course we have to make a trip out of it. So we get the great idea like, Hey, let's drive let's cross drive. country. Yeah. yeah. We'll just bring all our stuff with us and make a trip out of it. And we map it. And it's like, 
24 I'm, hours maybe driving straight? I'm, no. I, I'm pretty that? sure this came up because I had driven to California for a trade show before from Pinehurst. That's right. And I was like, it's not that bad. Like, <laughs> like you should look into, we should look into like renting a car and you being you found a van again. Like, <laughs> I didn't know. Driving straight from here to California, it's 36 hours, like without stopping. I've done that. It sucks. Yeah. So. Which we, uh, spoiler, made it all the way to California. We did. There was a point in the trip before the trade show that we weren't sure if we were going to make it. Multiple times, wanna... but one big one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the first one was the tornado. The like first the... one was me driving in like a tornado or a hurricane or something while you were sound asleep. So to start, we drove from Raleigh to Colorado, Colorado without stopping. And you've never driven a stick before. Uh, and I didn't, didn't know how to drive stick. This is a stick shift on an expensive van. So, uh, first adventure is Luke drives the first shift till probably about eleven or twelve at night. And me being the night owl, I was like, "Yeah, I'll drive overnight." So I think you showed me some quick basics with how to drive stick. I don't even know if we worked I on. Think for some of this too, I was shifting you up into oh, like yeah, fifth think, gear and then yeah, letting you go from we were there. On the highway, yeah. yeah. I was like, "Get it going." <laughs> yep. So yeah, did that until I learned how to drive that night on the stick shift. And it was a uh, interesting time trying to figure out how to not stall out. The van was also overheating oh, randomly, yeah. intermittently. The van was not. I, I think it was good until we got out a little further west. But my first, my first run, it was fine. My first night, it was fine at least. But yeah, so I learned to drive stick shift on the road in an expensive van that we borrowed on a trip <laughs> to a trade show. It was it was just crazy. So with that, all of our stuff, yeah, with everything that we needed for this trade show in the back of the van. So yeah, so we drove, made it out to Colorado, finally got some sleep, hit up. I'm trying to remember our timeline for this. So we hit the Great Sand Dunes first. Oh, I, I didn't even say the hurricane story, the tornado story. Sorry, second second near death experience. I think this was probably the second night. I guess it would have been. Luke's sound asleep, and all of a sudden it starts raining. It's getting a little windy. I don't remember which state we were in because it was all a blur at that point. It's raining. It starts raining a little harder. It starts getting pretty windy, and out of nowhere, it just, like, the sky just falls, and there's just torrential rain. Side, just the wind was going, I don't know how fast it was gusting, but in this lifted, tall sail of a van that I was with a roof rack with a guy who had just learned to drive stick shift, um, this thing was just whipping around and I was the only one on this two lane highway at the time, just, just like trying to keep it straight, trying to see anything in front of me. Thankfully, Transporter Works has amazing high, uh, headlamps or headlights that they sell. So their headlight game is strong, but I was just like panicking, just like eyes glued to the dash or glued to the windshield in front of me like just trying to make it through the storm and Luke is just sound asleep in the chair next to me I didn't wake him up we got through it and I like told him about it like <laughs> either after you woke up or the next morning or something and you just had no clue and I was like that was just like a torrential hurricane that I just drove through like how did you not wake up for that at all it was foreshadowing yeah it was things to come <laughs> so we uh Make it through that. We hit up a couple national parks, and then we end up at the Grand Canyon, which was the last stop before the trade show. 
So uh, we had decided to camp on Point Sublime, which is a North Rim North Rim camping spot that you have to take an eight is it eighteen mile off road. I'm gonna say road to get there, but it's not a road. It is a sheep's path to <laughs> get out to this amazing camping spot. But before you get to the trail, it's like you see signs, and it's, it's like you need four wheel drive, needs to be a lifted vehicle. All this like warning signs, like, hey, this is not for like a normal car to come through here. But us being us, we're like, yeah, it'll be fine. Let's just just go. And I think what we didn't mention was this car, this van does have four wheel drive, but at the time it was out. So we just (laughs) had a granny gear and it was lifted. So we had that going for us. So we we just kind of take off down this little trail that's just a random dirt road off of the highway or off of a road heading up to Point Sublime. And uh, I don't know, it starts off pretty easy and about maybe like 30 minutes in, like it started getting a little rough. Like the, I feel like it had rained pretty recently. So there was like parts of the road that was washed out. There was like some pretty steep hills. And then Luke had mentioned earlier that the van overheated. And we found that out a lot whenever we were going up these hills to where the van would overheat halfway up this giant hill. <laughs> We'd have to stop on the hill Luke would have his like just the brake just slammed, and we'd just like wait for the the van to cool down, and then we would like tag team try to shift back into the granny gear <laughs> while turning the van on to get all the way up this hill. <laughs> and it, I think it took us what five hours to go 18, 18 miles. miles. There was one point with a mud pit that we didn't know how deep it was, and we didn't know if the van could make it through it. So we like, we got out and we got like, we were getting like sticks and branches and logs and like throwing them in there, like trying to create a, like some type of land bridge for us to get through. Like, uh, we ended up just gunning it and getting through it. Finally made it out to, to the campsite, which was incredible. Literally like you drive up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and just, we were the only ones out there for miles around, hung out that night, cooked food. I remember, I think I FaceTimed my then fiance, now wife, from like the edge of the Grand Canyon because it was the one place we had service. But the whole time we were like, yeah, okay, we made it in. So as long as it doesn't rain tonight, we'll, we'll make it out. Like, we'll be fine. Because I think the trade show was in another day or two. So we'd, we had... We had one day. We had one day. We had one day. So we're like, as long as it doesn't rain, like we kept saying, as long as it doesn't rain, we'll be fine. And then, so we both go to bed reasonably late that night. I don't remember how late it was, but we did see some lightning off in the distance. We did. We're taking some photo- some night photography of heat some. I think it was. was it, it, it was probably a, just a, a storm that we thought was heat lightning because we were ignorant. Like, yeah, we'll be fine. So we go to bed. And I, I, it's probably around like 3 a.m. I think we both just like shot awake because all of a sudden we started hearing like the tapping on the roof of the van of, of rain, and we both just immediately just like panicked. Just like, dude, do you hear that? Like. Oh no! Like, I don't think we slept the rest of the night. No, because I also remember we had to. <laughs> we telling this part about the the bungee cord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes or no? Yeah, he knows. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we had a, a roof rack bungeed down to the top of the van, but in order to pop the top, you have to like lift the van up or lift the lift the roof up. So we forgot we had this thing bungeed down to like a plastic piece on the side of the van. And when it started raining, we like freaked out and just like rushed to lift this thing up. And all of a sudden we heard like a pop and we realized we like broke this 
expensive plastic piece on the side of the van. <laughs> and it was just like adding fuel to the fire of like, okay, we're screwed type deal. Yeah. <laughs> we made it out. We did. So long story short, we like didn't sleep at all that night, woke up in the morning and I, I guess it hadn't rained that much or whatever. So we're like, we took a couple more, like did some more photography, some product shots. And we're like, let's just get out of here. Let's just roll proceeded to have that entire process repeated getting out of except going the opposite way of the van overheating uh feeling like the van's gonna tip like i remember when we were almost out we like just got past the last real bad portion of the trail and all of a sudden we see like a freaking suburban i think it was a ford explorer yeah it was like a ford explorer just like driving towards us stock just like straight from the rental the rental shop so they like Pulled up next to us, and like Looked like this European family, yeah, like definitely tourists. <laughs> tourists. Definitely had no clue what was going on. I don't remember what they like asked us something or whatever, and then they just like rolled their window up and like kept going. And as we were leaving, we're like, those people are gonna get trapped in there forever. Like they're never getting out. They're probably still there. Yeah, they're hundred percent still trapped somewhere <laughs> in Point Sublime, Grand Canyon, eighteen mile off road trail. So yeah, that was. By far the most stressed I've ever been in a five-hour portion of my life was that drive to and from. <laughs> Remember, there was like halfway points where I was like, dude, we can still turn around. We can still turn. I was like trying to convince you, but you were very like determined. And I was just like sweating, holding a GoPro out the window like I'm documenting this. the whole time. We were both just giggly because we were like, well, if we're stuck here. We're screwed. So. So yeah, we made it out, made it to Vegas for the show. The rest of the trip went pretty smoothly. I would say the only other really, the hiccup I remember would be uh, when we get to Vegas, we're exhibiting in a casino and we had to park in these crazy places and walk all this. Yeah, there wasn't parking. (laughs) There wasn't an unloading zone was the problem. Yeah, we had to walk stuff through casino. The casino, it was like a 20 minute trip each Up time escalators to... <laughs> through like through the casino, the casino floor with and lumber and... us being us building our own booth we were like just hauling two by fours through like a fancy casino floor and up escalators <laughs> like just big old sheets of wood like don't mind us we're just going to build a booth it's and we fine. did drill the roof rack on the uh the parking in the parking deck oh <laughs> i do remember that because we were trying to find the height, parking the height wasn't quite cleared <laughs> cleared yeah, enough I for forgot the... all about that <laughs> just <laughs> i wasn't with you at the time because i feel i was by myself yeah i came back and you told me i was like oh my gosh we're even more almost screwed. got stuck in a parking garage <laughs> but we made it out to eventually the uh, california we went to the mojave desert joshua, joshua tree where we almost ran out of gas we almost ran out of gas middle of the desert here's some advice for you if you ever go out to the mojave desert or joshua tree Make sure you have a lot of gas because sure. there's not a lot of gas stations out there. What's your favorite spot we hit on that trip? Oh, man. So just to give you guys a rundown for just top of the head, hmm. things, places we went. We went to Zion. And we went to Arches. Arches. Monument Valley. Monument Valley. Joshua Tree. Uh, Flagstaff, great, Sedona. Great Sand Dunes in Colorado. Man. And, yeah. Uh, Carbondale. Carbondale. Illinois for the total eclipse. the total eclipse. I forgot about that. We got to Carbondale. The last stop, maybe, no, second to last stop, literally was during the total eclipse. And it just so happened we could be spit out into Carbondale, which was the epicenter. We we decided, we're like, we're going there. Yeah, we're we're going going there. But it did make sense for the trip. uh, Sure, whatever you want to tell yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And we get there and... 
course, like all the glasses you need to to view the eclipse are sold out. And I just like randomly asked this cute server. It's like, hey, uh, do you have an? I was just like joking because I was I thought she was gonna tell me to like go f off. And she's like, oh yeah, I actually got a couple extra, and she gave them to us. Hooked us up with a pair of glasses yeah. for the eclipse. Found a campsite, and that was a pretty magical uh, kind of conclusion to the trip. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Then we drove back, spent some time in Nashville, then Ash. Yeah. Drove through Asheville and then back home. Nashville, Asheville home. Yeah. Yep. That was a good bonding ex- experience for us. It brought us for pretty, sure. pretty tight together. I know Amber was excited to see you. This was two months after I'd gotten married, I think. <laughs> so I was newlywed and I dropped this bomb on my wife like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving on a couple week trip with my buddy. <laughs> we're, we're getting in a van and driving to Vegas. She was not super stoked on that trip. But she's okay with it now. But I remember she had a lot of phone calls to appease her. Like I'm fine. We're we're alive. I didn't I didn't tell her the extent of the Grand Canyon story while we were in it. She's like, <laughs> no, we're fine. It's everything's beautiful out here. We're gonna make it. <laughs> everything's okay. Yeah. By the time we got home, the van smelled so bad. <sighs> we had showered twice that entire <laughs> trip. The trip was two weeks long. <laughs> the trip was two weeks. Showered when we got to Vegas, and I think we showered in the desert once. Yeah. Oh, it was man. the full experience, the full van van life. We had brought out a bunch of plants too for our booth, <laughs> to decorate our booth. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of, bunch of cacti cactus and succulents. succulents. And those just got destroyed after I like day they, two. They all no, I think they all died when I was driving that first night, like learning to drive stick shift. Just got crushed by golf clubs and random frames and we brought a paddleboard we never used. We brought bikes. <laughs> but I had to sleep and... <laughs> basically cuddled up too because there was no room because we had so much stuff in the van. Oh, yeah. But good times. Yeah, that was for sure bonding. Like, we hadn't known each other for super I mean, it might have been a year at that point. But it was still, like, very much I felt like a working relationship. We were friends, but it was still more like, I don't know. Like, we didn't we, we didn't really spend a ton of time with each other outside of a work environment. And then being literally trapped in a van for two weeks, like 24 hours a day, just like driving across the country. There's no better way to get to know somebody. Yeah. So. No punches were thrown. That's, yeah, it's true. I mean, I feel like it was pretty friendly other than maybe some music disputes about me playing country and you playing rap. It was just like, that was probably our biggest moment of strife was arguing over some some music. Yeah. That's about it. And I went really smooth other than the, I mean, it went smooth in the fact of, us hanging out. Obviously, there's always adversity and like fun times to trips and things like that. And that's what makes moments memories. So it was fun. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, I think that trip alone is indicative of how our time together at Lion Loft was. There's definitely bumps in the roads. There's <laughs> we're going to die. Things yeah. that are like, you're going to, we're going to die. There's things you can't foresee, but we made it through together. And yeah, fast forward, um, sadly, to the day that. You, we had the tough discussion where you're yep. moving on, which I always knew was something that was going to happen at some point, obviously. And something I always tell people that start with us, like, we want to, I want to help you grow. And this is a stepping stone. If I would love for it to be forever, yeah. but it's, you know, at the end of the day, I care about you as a human first for and sure. foremost, and was the right move for what you had going on. But I'll let you kind of talk about what you're doing now and that sort of thing. Yeah, so at the time was thinking about starting a family with my wife, and uh, obviously now we're expecting a baby, so that's happening. But uh, 
At the time, I got a, a good opportunity to take a job as a user experience designer at Fidelity Investments here in Durham, North Carolina. That I just couldn't pass up, so I, I, I took it. And it sucked to uh, have that conversation. Obviously, it's a lot of I love. It's something I've poured my blood, sweat, and tears in for, I think it was close to three years at that point. Still something I I do my best to, or do what I can to help out with and be around and be included in as much as I can because it's uh, like we I mentioned before now it's it's almost back to like a passion project you know it's not something I'm necessarily grinding on eight hours during the day it's like I got to find time for it at night I got to you know find find little side side pockets of time to do to do stuff with it so. What is user experience for those that might not know? User experience is how any user interacts with whatever it may be. So in this case, specifically, it's interacting with a website and tools that Fidelity puts out. So everything from like different financial calculators to just their, their website in general. So pretty, pretty broad spectrum there, but I support a couple different teams at Fidelity working specifically on their life events. It's fun. It's been a it's been a new challenge. It's obviously going from a company of, at the time two of us to being a team of one of ten designers on a team of a couple hundred designers. You know, it's like it was a big jump, but thankfully Fidelity's got a really good culture um, design wise, and people are very open to my experiences and the the kind of stuff that I bring to the table. So it honestly has been a really smooth transition that I didn't I didn't really know what to expect because I'd only ever worked in startups and small businesses so I was dipping my foot into a whole new pond what would be you know you've come to this point now where you've done so many things from reflecting back to the point in the conversation we had earlier where someone told you you weren't good enough to be a designer what would what advice you know reflecting on all this could you give to someone that's get that's interested maybe in art or design, whether they're in high school or they've are thirty and they've hmm. never picked up, you know, YouTube. Go to YouTube, watch <laughs> watch videos. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my go to advice for a lot of people. Just go, just watch YouTube videos. It's fine. Um, well, from a personal standpoint, I'll start with that. Like on the not being told I wasn't good enough. I think it's probably something that's slightly mentally scarred me forever. Like I'll always have, you know, that. That, that devil on my shoulder telling me like, oh, you're, you're, you're definitely not good enough or whatever. But it's more of just being uh, very aware of that mindset and not letting myself succumb to that. Just being like, it's not about what this person says or that person says. Uh, again, I go back to my faith a lot because that's where I, I've really put my identity. So I don't put my identity in design. That's not what I would say defines me anymore. So yeah, just kind of keeping things prioritized where I think they should be, which for me is faith, family, and then anything else after that is, is gravy. And cookout. Cookout is definitely, well, that's included in family. You know, <laughs> cookout's included in family. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, just keeping things prioritized for me has been really, really crucial to kind of keep me keep me level. Um, obviously, my wife has been a huge part in keeping me, keeping me level. Uh, and now I got a, a daughter on the way, so she will probably be keeping me unbalanced for the rest of my life I'm sure so looking forward to that but then advice um, for anybody kind of looking to go into something creative is it's going to be tough it's going to be it's going to be a grind art and design and things like that a lot of it's subjective so a lot of it's going to be reliant on if people like what you're doing which 
to be honest, people might not like what you're doing and that's okay. Like if you're not okay with people not liking it, then it might not be for you. Or if people don't like it, you might be like me and say, screw you. I I think it is good. I'm just going to go find my my own path or figure out my own way to to do what I want to do and to do what I think I'm supposed to be doing. So just don't let people kind of dictate your success or your failure from a subjective standpoint. Right on. I think those are good words to live by. Easier said than done. (laughs) You want to go get some cookout? Always. Never pass up cookout. All right, let's go. That was the story of Andy Pisano on this episode of Golf Homies, presented by Lion Loft. Fun update, since we recorded this episode, Andy is now a proud dad to a healthy and happy Gia and celebrated his first Father's Day this year. We've got plenty of upcoming Golf Homies episodes on the docket, so stay tuned in. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep spreading the good feeling that golf is home.